0: and welcome to the Southcom Podcast. I am Rich Crusan, Southcom Public Affairs, and today it's my privilege and honor to welcome Brigadier General Regina Torch Sabrick, Reserve Deputy Commander of Operations at United States Southern Command, to share with us some of her reflections on the importance of observing and celebrating Women's History Month. Welcome to the podcast, General Sabrick.
1: Thanks, I appreciate you having me and look forward to the conversation today.
0: Ma'am, before we get started on today's topic, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, some of your military experiences? And one thing I know I'm interested in is hearing how you came to be known as Torch
1: absolutely so i grew up in pennsylvania in the poconos from there i very interested in sports outdoors all that kind of good stuff i've in the air force in 1995 i went to penn state and then went to officer training school from there and went into the air force my air force career has been very exciting and awesome i've gotten to do a lot of different things i started out as an f-15e weapons system officer flying F-15Es. I then transitioned to pilot training where I flew the F-16 for most of my career. I've had the opportunity to fly a few different airplanes as well. So I had a special operations tour in the C-146. I flew the MQ-9 unmanned platform. And then most recently I flew the F-35 where I was the wing commander out at Hill. I've had great opportunities, both leadership and just flying as well. I've gotten to be a squatter in a group and a wing commander this is my second staff tour as well so i've had the opportunity to deploy that's kind of my career in a very quick nutshell Uh, and then the call sign business yes in the fighter community we always get asked you know where did your call sign from came from where did you get it well torch clearly had to do with fire i had a few fire incidents in my jet one incident was the jet no getting caught on fire right on takeoff roll and then I had another incident where we have flares that are kind of used for defense for, against some of the threats that they all kind of hit the runway and bounced off on a night sortie. And then the third one happened to be I dropped some inert bombs that didn't have any explosives with them, but it arced off a rock, caused a fire, burnt down a lot of the range. So all three of those stories happened in the same week. As you can imagine, the maintenance guys asked me to stop flying that week and said, please, no more. Um, But also every naming I had on the board had to do with fire. So that's where that came from.
0: I'm sure you took some ribbing from some of your fellow pilots that week, especially. Well, thank you for sharing some of your personal story with our listeners. Ma'am, getting to the topic of this podcast, International Women's Day, March 8th, has been commemorated across the world since 1911. It's been 110 years, and every U.S. President since 1995 has marked March as Women's History Month. One common topic that is taught in U.S. history classes in the United States is women's suffrage, the right to vote. The suffrage movement built momentum during the 19th century, achieved part of its goal with the ratification of the 19th Amendment in 1920, and though the movement and the ratification of the 19th Amendment happened just over 100 years ago, its movement continues to press on to ensure the protection of voting rights for all. I know we're at least two generations removed from the 19th Amendment's ratification, but have you ever pondered what women's rights pioneers like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony tried to accomplish, neither of them lived long enough to witness the ratification of the 19th Amendment. They both died more than a decade before the ratification. They may have felt that their efforts and energy were spent in vain. Do you think they would have been satisfied today with the passing of the 19th Amendment? Or do you think today they would feel that there's more work to be done?
1: I think the answer is probably a little bit of both. I think they would absolutely be happy to see that the 19th got passed but i still think they would probably think hey there's still more work to be done these women and everybody else that has worked so hard to get us where we are it's not an easy train to have gotten us where we are today in 2021 and their work and their dedication speaks volumes to what they have done for women across the world i would have loved for them to see the benefits of everything they have worked on for me and everybody that sits in my seat, we could not be more grateful for all the work they have done previous to get us here. I think they would be absolutely thrilled to see that the 19th got passed, that women are breaking glass ceilings left and right just for the military. We've got you know, women at the highest levels of the military, combatant commands, first female vice president. Those are some great things that have happened. But you know what there's still some work to be done and i think that's incumbent upon the rest of us to keep that
0: going thank you ma'am for some of your perspectives there's a lot of accomplishments that call us to observe and remember women's history and what women's history in the united states and the world encompasses in a relatively recent article military.com a service women's action network report noted that in 2018 there were 63 female admirals and generals on active duty in the five services compared to 30 in the year 2000. This is a number that has more than doubled in the recent two decades, but the total still is just under 10% across all services. As a recently promoted general officer in the Air Force, you must have developed some of your own perspectives on what being in the military for a woman means and what women's history means to you. Can you share some of your thoughts, ma'am?
1: Being able to celebrate Women's History Month in March is a great thing. It lets us reflect on where we were, where we've come from, and where we're going. The fact that I am newly promoted, I am humbled to be among the numbers you have just talked about. While it has doubled, I think that's a great thing. While it's less than 10%, right, I think we still have places to go off of that. But I think we're on a great trend as far as where we are to see exactly the numbers as they continue to grow and I think probably the bigger piece right is now we have young men and women anybody can look up now and say you know what I can I can do that I can be that person there's role models sitting in very key positions right now across the military and the civilian world that allows people to look up and say, hey, I can do that. She has done that, or she has done this, and I can reach for the stars like she has hit. So what I think it does, it inspires a younger generation because they no longer have limits. And a lot of the stuff has been removed that they can now say, hey, that's something I wanna do. And look at that woman, she has done that, or look, she sits in this position. So I think those are great things to accomplish where we've been, Um, and that's particularly, I think, one of the benefits.
0: Along the same line of thinking and discussion, ma'am, As far as some things that potentially could be done to increase the numbers of women staying in active duty, you know, things that may encourage or inspire them or even some rules changes. You told me a little bit before we started about an Air Force program that I was completely unaware of about some sort of hiatus for women, and you said men could participate as well. Do you have any thoughts could more be done?
1: As we start to look at the military as a whole, I think holistically we're looking at a little bit more, right? We need to look at the family piece of this because it all affects readiness, right? When it comes down to you know, what are we here for? We're for readiness to accomplish the mission. Well, you need to have the backside of that all set in order to be able to do that, family personal. So I think as we look at these kind of different initiatives across the military, of how can we make this possible? Personally, I think. When we start talking about women in the military, I still think we still have to work on a lot of recruitment and retention, particularly retention. There comes a point for women and it's not just a female thing, but particularly there comes a point of there's going to come a time, do you want a family or do you want to pick your career? And I think a lot of women are still at the crossroads to say, it's gotta be one or the other. Uh, I don't think that's true. I have a 10 year old son and you can definitely do both, but I think We need to make it easier to both have families and serve. You know, whether you're dual mill-to-mill or mill-to-civilian or a single parent, I think we can still work on ways to increase recruitment. We've got to get more women in because then the numbers will stay But we also have to look at how do we retain, how do we make this better as we kind of evolve throughout society to say, you know what, you don't have to choose between being a mom or being a parent and being in the military. I think we can do both and I think we still need to work on that.
0: Great comments, ma'am. Thank you. The nation's commemorative landscape, ma'am, has over 5,000 public statues honoring historic figures and their accomplishments, but fewer than 400 of these public works of art recognize women in history. The disparity is evident in major cities such as Washington, D.C. and New York City. In prepping for this podcast, I found out that until very recently, both of these cities, these major cities, had only five statues memorializing women accomplishments. And until recently in New York City, the erecting of the Women's Rights Pioneers Monument on August 26, 2020, which memorialized three famous women, Sojourney Truth, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Now there's eight, eight women memorialized. The huge disparity is evident. As far as this disparity, maybe a little discussion, but also is there any one in history, women's history, that you kind of admire or looked up to?
1: So for me, obviously coming from a pilot background, there's a few women that obviously jump right out, right? Amelia Earhart being one. I think one of the uh, the other group of women that significantly kind of shape where I am today are the WASPs, the Women Air Force Service Pilots. Those are kind of the first ones to come to mind for me. They paved the way to for female pilots like myself to be where we are. These are the women who flew during World War II they trained pilots, they tested aircraft, they pretty much flew everything and kind of set in motion where we are today. And I think if you look at kind of what those women did back then, and you know, you fast forward to where I am today, I haven't had to worry about not being able to do something. When I came into the Air Force in 1995, two years prior, the combat exclusion to women was lifted. So I didn't have to worry about that I couldn't be a fighter pilot because two years earlier that got removed. And that's, you know, a lot of work going into that to say, you know, all the women, you know, and the men who have fought for that to get where we are. But for stuff like that, to me, significant, right? When that exclusion got lifted for combat, that allowed me to be a fighter pilot. And that put my whole career in motion from there. And I never had to worry about hey, oh, I can't go to that job because it's not open to women. And I think where we are in the military is great. We're starting to open up all the the previously closed-off jobs to women. But that one, significantly, personally for me, basically shaped my career as I have been in the fighter community since I got into the Air Force. So significant for me.
0: Ma'am, one final question. What words of encouragement or inspiration would you leave for women in high school or maybe in college who are thinking about their future?
1: So my going in argument would be go for it. There is absolutely nothing you can't accomplish. If you want to go do something, you want to go be something, you want to go have a certain job, just go for it. Hopefully the glass ceilings are getting shattered left and right. And if there is one, bust through it. So my whole thing is work hard. Don't give up, have fun doing what you're doing as well. Right? Find something you want to do and go after it and do your best to achieve it. I think we need to get away from, there's limits. There's absolutely no limits for women. Hopefully everybody's growing up right now and there's not anything they look at like, oh, I can't do that because I'm a girl or that's not open to me. I think we're getting to a point that that's all gone. So my biggest piece of advice would be just to go for it and do your best and work your hardest and go after whatever you want.
0: Ma'am, it's been a pleasure talking with you today on the SOUTHCOM podcast. I hope you're willing to come back and talk to us again in the future, maybe something more along the lines of your role here at SOUTHCOM. If you could just close out with, what is it you do at SOUTHCOM, ma'am?
1: Absolutely. Well, first I wanted to say thanks. I appreciate you having me. And absolutely, I would love to come back for any other topic you want to talk about. Currently, I am the Preserve Deputy Director of Operations for SOUTHCOM.
0: Ma'am, our listeners, I'm sure, have enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more, and they'll be very excited to hear your words of encouragement. Listeners, our next podcast will be Southcom Humanitarian Assistance Projects. We'll have a couple guests from J79, the Exercises and Coalitions Affairs Division. Thank you for listening.